Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back of the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, we're continuing our series, An Alternative Lifestyle, today. So turning your Bibles to Philemon 12 to 16, as Dr. Newfeld brings us a message entitled, What Reconciliation Really Looks Like. It has been said, and you know, I think I'm the one that said it, although I have to check my records, but it has been said that human relationships are like the violin. When a novice first tries to play that thing, it sounds like an alley cat, you know, gasping out its last dying breaths or like long fingernails being dragged across one of those old blackboards. Makes the flesh crawl. You can hardly imagine a more painful sound. And yet that same violin in the hands of a master brings such untold beauty that many of us are reduced to tears of joyous emotion. All human relationships are like that violin. Marriages can produce lifelong love and loving children. Marriages can produce conflict, abuse, accusation, lifelong bitterness, and even murder. See, I wonder if Philemon might have thought, now that Onesimus, his slave, had run away, that, that even though the relationship had ended badly, at least, at least, praise God, it's over. Painful, but mercifully done with. But now in God's amazing providence, this runaway slave had run into the arms of the Apostle Paul, and there he had been born again. Indeed, so great was that transformation that this once lazy and untrustworthy fellow is now described by Paul as a man who is indeed very useful to him. And then if that weren't enough, Paul adds, and he's useful to you as well. (laughs) Now, being done with that, Paul has more to add. Philemon 12, he writes, I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. Well, verse 12, if it were literally translated, would probably shock us because what Paul actually writes, I'm sending him, sending my very bowels, he says, or my intestines. And the reason why translators here chose heart instead of what should have been a literal translation is because, you know, in our culture, to call someone my intestines or my bowels, well, we just wouldn't get the idea. The only words we would put together with bowels is a descriptor like, you know, irritable. You know, we don't get any sense of affection from that. You know, but in the ancient world, bowels meant feelings, desires, compassion, and even love. Often there seems to be little difference from speaking of feelings from the heart or feelings of the bowels. So in order to avoid confusion, our translator put in heart to help us to get the point. But from Paul's vantage point, he's trying to communicate to Philemon that this young man, Onesimus, this this runaway slave, has become a man for whom he has great love. He has become the object of his deepest affection. Now, even while Paul begins this letter to Philemon expressing great love for Philemon, it would seem that Paul has an equal love and affection for Onesimus. And why? Ah, here's the answer. Paul has been in prison, and, and we can't be completely sure what that experience was like, but, but, but in a later imprisonment, he would write in some detail the one described in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16. He says, at my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. So if you can imagine that imprisoned Christian leaders were not popular people. And sometimes, whether it was out of fear, or sometimes it could have been even out of shame, but other Christians simply backed off. But not Onesimus. Hey, he's a runaway slave. He's found mercy before God. I mean, what did he have to lose? 
And so he gave himself to serving Paul. I assume that means that sometimes he would have run errands for Paul. Maybe he was the one who got medications for him. Maybe he was the one who made sure that Paul had enough to eat. Uh, He no doubt prayed with him. And in the loneliest hours, there was Onesimus, the one who never deserted him in his imprisonment. And then, as Paul indicates, he sent him back to Philemon in Colossae and for Paul. It's as if in his great hour of need, he's just lost his heart. He's lost the place where his deepest emotions flowed. He's sending back Onesimus. And that was, for Paul, one of the greatest sacrifices that he could have made. You almost sense the deep hurt that Paul actually felt when he did this thing. I can almost imagine that that must have shocked Philemon because Philemon would never have seen Onesimus in that way. I mean, he only knew him as this this worthless troublemaker. And suddenly, he learns of a completely different perspective, how much he meant to Paul. And, And I think that's the point. Christians believe that God not only forgives, we actually believe that God transforms and that he continually transforms. And that's what makes it possible for brothers and sisters to reach out over barbed wire fences. They reach out over dividing walls of hostility, long, deep standing disputes, and they learn to embrace. If God changes people, if God changes you, if God changes people who have wounded you deeply, You can move beyond forgiveness. You can move to reconciliation. And that message is what makes the gospel so potent. It makes it so countercultural, so so radically different from anything else. And when we live that out, well, we actually give the world around us, the culture in which we live, our neighbors, so forth, they have an opportunity to witness something they've actually never seen before. Now, Now, we move to verses 13 and 14. He says, I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but out of your own accord. (laughs) I'm thinking that if you were Philemon, how would you have read that sentence? Oh, you would have understood that that Paul desperately needs an Esimus now. You'd have also understood that the choice of whether to keep him or make an example of him or or simply to restore him, well, that was yours to make. And in making the choice, you would have to consider a number of factors. You know, the first and the most obvious of those factors would be the one which you might consider is how this might play in the face of all the other slaves who were under you. I mean, if, if running away is like a get-out-of-jail-free pass whenever you want to, and then you come back without any ramifications, well, soon, you know, you're going to have problems. And the second factor has to do with the church. Because Paul not only sends this letter to Philemon, look, he's sending this letter to the entire church. Clearly, how Philemon deals with Onesimus has something to say about the kind of leadership Philemon is bringing to the church. Everyone's eyes are now on Philemon. Paul saw to it that this dispute would not be a private matter. But there's a third factor also at work here. And you may have noticed it in the sentence that Paul wrote. He wanted Philemon's goodness to be of his own accord. That is, he should be free to act out of his own goodness. Now, you and I know that goodness is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. 
It's an activity of bringing blessing to someone's life. And it's not practiced by external commands, but it's rather by the inward activity of the Holy Spirit calling us, that is you and I, to act like Christ. And here's Paul's confidence. When someone is truly born again, the Holy Spirit is acting inside of that person, inside of him or her. And Paul is confident that this is the activity that's going on inside of Philemon. That's what the new birth has produced inside of him. Now, it is possible to read these verses and say, you know, well, now, Paul, you're being very clever in this letter. I mean, since you've addressed this letter, not only personally to Philemon, but also to his wife and then to his son and then to the entire church, I mean, what choice does that man actually have but to do what you've asked him to do? You virtually shamed him now into submission. You know, it's going to cost him financially to send him back. It might work out badly for the rest of his slaves, but you've emotionally backed him into the corner, and there's no way out for him now. But if that's what you think is happening here, I I think we misunderstand this letter, and I think we misunderstand Paul. Because what comes next virtually gets Philemon off the hook. See, the next verse truly indicates that Paul is as good as his word. The decision of what to do next, that is going to be entirely up to Philemon. No, no. Paul is saying, I'm not backing you into a corner at all. And what you do next is not going to be done out of shame. I believe it's going to be done out of your goodness. So, verses 15 and 16. This is very important now. It reads, For this, perhaps, is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a beloved brother. See, Paul says, look, I don't know why he's coming back. I mean, you might turn him around and send him right back to me. You might not. I don't know why God is sending him back to you. It might be that keeping him was what God intended all along. And then in doing so, you and he would model forgiveness. And then you would move beyond forgiveness to reconciliation and to seeing what kind of relationship ought to exist between a master and a slave. I mean, the decision is Philemon's. How does he see God working? What is God telling him? Act, says Paul, out of your own goodness. Do the right thing. We're all confident you're going to do that. We're just waiting to see how God's going to work that out inside of you. We're always encouraged and blessed by the generosity of those who share our heart for Bible teaching and sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. And we continue to be in awe. Last month, we received a pledge from a group of ministry friends who are committed to matching your donation this month up to $125,000. I can't express enough appreciation for the potential impact of this pledge for ministry. I'm excited also to share that we're continuing our match into the month of July. So could I ask you to thoughtfully consider offering a financial gift today? Your gift of $50,100,000 or more will be then matched up to $125,000, which with your help becomes $250,000 to support the ongoing Bible teaching of this ministry. You literally double the dollars you choose to give. What a great investment. Would you help us to take full advantage of this opportunity today? Call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit us and make your gift securely online at backtothebible.com. 
www.ca. Now, I can't help but read Philemon verse 15 and not think about Joseph and those 10 brothers of his. Now, if you don't know that account, let me simply say that, that Joseph had every reason to hate those brothers. They slandered him, they mocked him, they resented him, and then they beat him. And finally, they sold him into slavery. And that's not ruining of a relationship. I don't know what is. And then to make matters worse, they lied about what they did. And if we're not careful, we might read into the account of Joseph when he meets them again that he's bringing accusations against them and he's arresting them and he's forcing them to bring Benjamin there. And we can see like it looks like revenge, but it wasn't. Joseph was giving his brothers a chance to see if they were still the same men they always were, will they sacrifice Benjamin into imprisonment and slavery just like they sacrificed Joseph? Will they go back from Egypt to Canaan and report that a bad man simply took Benjamin away? And soon Joseph learns the answer. They're not going to do it again. They're now changed. They're going to sacrifice themselves for Benjamin. And there's more. They've been suffering from grief because of their sins against Joseph for a lot of years now. See, here's the thing about sin. Those who do it never, never get off scot-free. Sin always carries a price, even to those who deny they did anything wrong. Whether here or in eternity, sin is a greater price than we can bear. And so at the end of the book, when the brothers think Joseph may still be angry with them, he tells them something he's learned, and we find that in Genesis 50, verses 20 to 21. He says, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Now that same formula is repeated in the account of Philemon. Paul tells Philemon that he may have had a very bad time with this man. And in fact, all that has happened. So that in the end, you would have him back and learn a new kind of relationship that you never thought was possible with a slave before. So whether you send him back or keep him, I'm going to let your goodness decide that matter. You know, providence is a Christian doctrine that teaches that, that God uses all of our experience, not one of them is wasted, and that he orders and ordains these experiences according to his will and glory, and he does so for our long-term good. One of the most wonderful things I've ever discovered is that some of my greatest failures and most significant frustrations have been the product of divine intention, an active work of God in which he is arranged to teach me to be happy in him. The great tragedy is that many people see life as accidental. That's why they're frustrated. That's why they're angry. That's why they're resentful. That's why there's no purpose in their life. They think their life has been subverted. They can't see how God has led them. They just see roadblocks and things that keep them from their goals. And so they're angry with God all the time. But if their eyes were ever open to God's loving providence, they might see with that wife or that husband or that mom or dad or that pastor or even that church. Do you know? They might be able to say with Joseph, wow, God meant this for good. I, I couldn't see it. 
But now I do see it. Life has become meaningful and joyful. God was good to me in this. And Paul's opening Philemon's eyes to one of the most painful chapters of Philemon's life, his relationship to that difficult and useless slave, that man by the name of Onesimus. And when Paul says, for this perhaps is why he was parted from you, he's using the Greek word parted as a passive verb. You know, sometimes theologians will call this the divine passive. They mean by that 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 God was sovereignly behind all of those events. But why would God allow those events to occur? And Paul answered, so that you might have him back, no longer as a slave, but as a brother. And it turns out that's not only just a relational issue here between these two men, but there's another issue that's here. And you know what it is. It's regarding an institution. Everyone in Rome assumed to be simply normal. Slavery and what it meant was normal. Masters were considered greater than their slaves, and slaves were considered as property, and sometimes they were even considered merely as tools. You could handle them as you saw fit. So one can imagine Christian masters respecting the conversion of their slaves, but still, they just never got the idea of just how profoundly the Christian gospel impacted everything, even their relationship with their slaves. Now, once it became clear that Christian masters and their Christian slaves were now brothers or brothers and sisters in Christ, well, it becomes difficult to imagine how the institution of slavery could survive against the environment of love and reconciliation. I mean, how can you view a slave as property and in the same breath view that same individual as a brother, a co-worker for the gospel, a fellow soldier in, in the cause of Christ, a dear friend with whom you are praying and sharing companionship and friendship? You know, once the Christian faith truly embraced this and it grew significantly grew in the Roman culture, they continued to see more and more people won to Christ with time. The institution of slavery was simply doomed. It was dead. But some of us might not be satisfied with that. We might still complain that there should have been something more direct, like a clear denunciation of the institution of slavery. But that's just the point. You can get people to condemn what's wrong, and they'll even feel self-righteous in doing so, but you still haven't created an alternative until that alternative looks like the redeeming love of Jesus. Let me take you all the way back to verse 16. Paul is mentioning that that it may be that Philemon was always intended to have Onesimus back forever. And then he writes, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord? And boy, that's a mouthful. Paul wants Onesimus and Philemon to have a friendship that is to function on two levels. He mentions in the flesh, that's one level, and then he mentions in the Lord. Well, why would he do that? Well, I think all of us, if we're believers, understand this thing called friendship in the Lord. I mean, once we're saved, we're brothers and sisters in Christ, and we go to church together. I mean, perhaps we're in a Bible study together, and we pray together, on our knees together with each other. We share the Lord's table together, and all of that's rich. So what's a friendship in the flesh? What can that mean? I mean, do Onesimus and Philemon play golf together or ride motorcycles, you know, together and go out and eat in a restaurant together just to to catch up on each other's lives? Well, you see, I think that's exactly what Paul has in mind. 
and it must have looked like the funniest thing in the world. You know, you'd have to think that they were like Mutt and Jeff. I mean, who'd ever heard of that? A friendship, a sharing of life, equals, a man and his slave? Who'd ever in the Roman world imagined that was possible? But that's exactly what's being offered to Philemon in this little book. And that's exactly what makes Christian friendship the very alternative culture that the world so desperately needs. What is it when people of various races and nationalities and people of various income categories, the rich and the poor, the educated and the uneducated, I mean, what is it when they deeply love and enjoy each other and more? What is it when past wounds are now covered, when they are truly forgiven, when they are restored? It's God's offer of fellowship, and it's his offer of friendship. So today, let's put together a a series of pictures that are going to help you understand how that works, how to move beyond forgiveness and stretch across a barbed wire fence and offer friendship. Someone will say, how do I do that? Well, the answer is found in the place where forgiveness and restoration must be found in the first place. It has to be found in Christ. It's important for us to see our own sins as they truly are and to recognize what Christ has done for us. And then we need to look at the sins that someone has done against us, and we need to say, oh Lord, may what was done between me and you be repeated in that relationship. And so you need to pray that way most sincerely. Perhaps by God's grace, he may open up wonderful doors and you may enter into an alternative lifestyle that you didn't think possible and certainly this broken world didn't think possible either. John, I wonder if we can revisit something. You talked about the providence of God in in broken relationships. How does that work? Yeah, I know it's very hard for us to come to terms with the fact that, you know, perhaps God in loving providence has allowed me to experience brokenness in relationships. Now, that doesn't mean that God is responsible for those broken relations. I always want to say that. It's sin that gives rise to that. But the sin does expose something in me. I mean, God could have prevented, you know, that hard experience from happening, but he has chosen not to and allowed us to feel the full weight of that but he does that not to punish us. I mean, uh, providence is not about punishment because our punishment was dealt with in the cross of Christ and therefore Christ was punished for us. But now a loving heavenly father wants to allow us to enter fully into the life that he has. So he allows us to experience this so that we might discover him in the middle of it. Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow for our final message in an alternative lifestyle right here on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. It doesn't matter where you live. The secular culture around the globe has taken its hold in our communities. It's clear that as Christians, we can't isolate ourselves from the culture around us, but we need to be set apart. But how do we do that? Well, the first step is to open the Bible and see what God's Word has to say. In Dr. Newfeld's series, An Alternative Lifestyle, Dr. John does just that by diving into the book of Philemon. And we're excited not to only offer this series on this station, but offer it to you on CD as our gift. 
Ask for your copy for yourself, a friend, or even for your church library. All you need to do is visit us at backtothebible.ca or call us at 1-800-663-2425.